Good Looking Out, episode number 18, a podcast about what to eat, watch, read, and listen to. I'm Eric. I'm Jason Santos. What's new, Santos? Um, not much. Um, you got, uh, oh, you know what's new? I got a, uh, I got an appointment to get a haircut tomorrow. I, I, I told you, um, <laughs> I told you that, uh, I, I thought you were going all in. Yeah. I, I I was, um, but now I got like this. Oh, the flowies. Do you see? Yeah. yeah. Do you see this happening? Yeah. D- do people stop you on the street and ask you to <laughs> ask you for your autograph because they think you're a pro hockey player? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. I feel like I'm trying to be an extra and dazed yeah. and confused or some shit. Like, like you're a Boston Bruin. Fucking hey, I know. No, yeah, and Beth just like. Makes fun of me constantly. And it's just not working for me. Nothing, I can't get it to. It needs to, you're at that crucial stage where you either need to fully commit and let it go longer and then you'll power through or you just need to pull the plug. Fuck. I want to be the guy that goes through with it, you know, and see, see what happens. I don't know. We'll it's, talk- about, it's about to be get cold here anyways when you want a little more hair. A little bit more, a little more tuft. Yeah. Up on top. I don't know, man. Yeah, you might you might just want to power through. Stay true. But this curl, this is back here, because if you wear a collar, it, it curls up and it bunches up yeah. and then it puffs out and you're just you're like, like a fucking you're ass. You're like someone's creepy uncle. Exactly. It's yeah. a bummer. So I'm going to go, I'm going to consult tomorrow at any rate and we'll see. But this, you may be getting a whole new look. Wow. Come week's end. We'll Interesting. See. So... I've got to ask you, being the mass hole that you are. Yeah. Did you go see Black Mass? I no, I haven't gone yet. Um, I'm hearing bad things. I'm not surprised, man. I'm not surprised. Did you read it? Uh, no, no, no I didn't it's read great. The book. It's good. I, I actually say it's great. Um, I don't remember. I read it a long time ago, um, and it was like, I, it was more factual, and it was just kind of like nice to piece together the. You know, because he's such a, you know, hero slash anti-hero in my right. part of the world. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, it's like putting all the pieces together and seeing where, like, that crew, how that crew came up and everything. Um, but just the trailer, I, he looks a little, I don't know. I mean. He looks a little bit like the Crypt Keeper. Fucking hey, like, That's what yeah. I'm saying, right? I mean. It, it doesn't really. There's not. You, don't feel quite the same menace or, you know, in The Departed, which, you know, is obviously based on Whitey Bulger, very heavily influenced by, oh, at yeah. least J- Jack Nicholson brings a certain sort of, like, menace, and there's that edge of crazy there, oh, like, just the right amount, where you're God. like, I can see why someone would, he's competent, but he's just crazy enough that... You never know what this guy's going to do. Totally. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, that's what made that character so fucking good. And I wonder, you know, I guess Johnny Depp, he's, you know, he's got the chops. But, you know, you wonder, you got to question that casting a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, Yeah, I don't know. I'm not hearing good things either. Of course I'm going to go see it. I mean. Yeah. Who, who would be the right person? Fucking John Voight, man. After yeah, watching him in Ray Donovan, true. dude, that's true. he's so fucking yeah, good. That's true. He's kind of like already playing that character a little bit. He is. Ray Donovan. It is so. that character. Yeah. It is that Malkovich, character. Malkovich, maybe? Malkovich. Jesus, that's a great call. 
Malkovich, yeah. Um, I met like Malkovich once. Gabriel Byrne, maybe? Oh! Like, get someone who's actually Irish? Actually Irish, and... Yeah. He's... Yeah. Another 15 years, it could have been Mark Wahlberg, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no shit. Really. I know. Where's Whitey now? He's in... Uh, didn't he die in jail? Or is he... He's definitely in jail. Because yeah. there was the whole thing. There was like years and years of court cases, and there were all these like crazy transcripts and stuff that came out of the court cases. Yeah, because everyone was, I think, afraid of what he was going to actually reveal. Like yeah. when it came down to it, and someone was saying the other day at work that a couple of the FBI guys that were involved and implicated got really serious jail time, and that people from the Whitey Bulger crew like skated off pretty easy. Like six to seven years on like murder charges, even seriously, yeah. <laughs> fucking a. So and somebody went down too. You got the sense that they were maybe tiptoeing around it a little bit because, or they were cutting backroom deals so that not all of their dirty laundry got aired in the courtroom. Dude, some shit, man. Yeah, it's some oh, shit. It's crazy. They off the dude in at, at the beginning of that. Uh, like, right when test- people were starting to testify. Right. Do you remember that? One of the main witnesses against Whitey Bulger. Yeah. yeah. It's like fucking still. I mean, guy's yeah. been buried for how many years yeah. and still has the pull to yeah. get somebody. It's crazy. It's nuts. It's nuts. Yeah, I'll go see it. I'll go see it. Might uh, be might be better to spend your time watching nar- narco- Narcos. 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 Because Whitey Bulger's got nothing on it. What's the deal there, man? I've I've seen an episode and a half now and... You're, you're not you're not feeling it. No, I'm not really. Huh. No, interesting. What do I, I like? It. Yeah, I think it's good. What is it that you don't like? Is it too slow? The pacing? Um, maybe a little bit. Maybe that's it. Yeah. Um, I can't put my finger on it, and and it's one of those things where I just kind of I don't know. I just um haven't gotten there yet. So so there's this study um that. I don't know who did it. It's got to be funded by um, Netflix or somebody else. But they have recently, um, they've, it's not necessarily a study, but it's more like an observation where people have found the critical point in a series. Yep. Do you know what I'm yeah, talking about? I saw that article. Did yeah. you see this? Okay. Netflix can identify which episode is the episode that makes people binge watch from the yeah. on out. So I guess it's really just looking at analytics, right? Yeah. And seeing where people drop off and where they don't. And But FX uses it as well. Maybe they used it through a Netflix because Sons of Anarchy, right. they know at the end of, they know that in the middle of the second episode, if you get there, you're in. Right. You're brought in. So yeah. it's like, it's almost like, so as these as serial TV becomes bigger and bigger, it's becoming kind of similar to pop music where they're identifying that sort of like formula. The inflection for, point. Yeah. Right. And it's like, you, you know, you need this, 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 to make the recipe, and you do that, and then you yeah. can do what you want after that. It is funny. You start to sort of lose patience. I find myself doing that with books as well. Like, when I read really good action books, and from, like, page one, you're just, like, flipping pages. Oh, yeah. it's so good. You're, yeah. you're bought in from page one, and now, like, I, I'll read some books, and uh, if it's 10 pages, 15 pages in, I'm not, like, totally into it. You know, I'm not, like, burning to know what's going to happen next. 
then I'm on to the next thing. I love that about you. Yeah, you've told me that. You've said that before, and I love you. Kind of gave me your gave me like the. The, oh, the the excuse or the or the, the lifetime like, stat about how how few books you're gonna read. Well, fucking hey, yeah. that, right? I mean, that's a huge factor. Yeah, why 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 are you gonna why suffer waste time with shitty books? Yeah, you absolutely. There's uh, you know, you're gonna read a, a fraction of a fraction of all the the books that you probably want to read in your lifetime. So why make yourself suffer through a shitty book? Bail on that thing. Yeah, that's exactly away. why you need this podcast. It's exactly right. Yeah, and I got a couple actually. I've I have one book and one periodical. So here. The, the theme for this week, uh, yeah, 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 we're we're coming to the table with documentaries that um, somehow changed or shifted your worldview. The documentaries that had an impact, and obviously, when you think documentary, your first knee jerk reaction is to go to film. But we wanted to do um, a multimedia look at, um, you know, different. Documentary in the form of a book, documentary in the form of music, even. You know, when you look at something like the Anthology of American Folk Music was the example that I used. Yeah, which is um, a great which example. Which is a documentation of a large swath in a period of time where, you know, this kind of music genre was being born in, in America. So, my, uh, I tried to, you know, get as much multimedia in there as possible. Yep. Um, but some of these things, just by their nature, anything that's a great book like the Whitey Bulger thing, gets turned into a film. You know, so there's yeah. there's a lot of crossover on, on I mean, the, that isn't obviously a documentary film. It's based off the book. But yeah. um, there are a couple things that have been, you know, where something that was in the docu- documentary format is then fictionalized or dramatized in another format. Um, I have a couple of those in mind, so. Nice. And I think I like... And just for listeners, so you know, Eric is the one that normally sets the subject. Works out for us that way. I like it. And I, what I like is that you put, you give it, we have a topic, but then you put a filter on it. Right. And the filter for this is that it, it was, it altered your life view. It, yep. it was, so this doesn't mean that it is um, necessarily required viewing, but I would argue otherwise. I feel like my this stuff is, yeah. Um, but it's you know, and it's not like it was important in its genre or anything like that. It's more what it did to you personally. Yep. Is kind of how I approach yeah, this. Absolutely. Um, and by the nature, anything that has a, that powerful of an effect and moves someone, I think is generally on the best best of list. Anyway, yeah, I agreed. Uh, yeah, for sure. Well, let's get into format because we actually have a new. Uh, a new segment at the back of the episode that I want to take you through, which is a new sort of pop oh, quiz. That's right, you were telling testing, me about this. Yeah. Testing the movie knowledge of Santos. Fucking hell. So let's get into format here. Why don't you All roll right. with your first pick? All right, so I, um, my stuff is, um, all, and I didn't go into it wanting it to be this way or necessarily trying to make it this way, but it's all super accessible, easy to get stuff. Um, so another tick in the box of why you should go find this shit. Um, my first pick is, um, a book and, um, it's the, it's the photographic anthology century. So Hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but, um, oh God, it's so great, and it's in every bookstore. You can get it for. It came out in um, like 
2000, um, chronicling the 20th century uh, in photographs. Hmm. So it's enormous, you know, it's, it's eight inches thick. Um, it's a Fiden book. And um, Fiden is how you pronounce yeah. it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Fiden. Yeah. Um, great publisher. Yeah, right. Great. Uh, I love them. Books. Beautiful books. Yeah. And this is no no exception. Um, but starts in 1899 and goes through, you know, 2000. And um, it's so great. So it's basically a plate per page. Um, and how many photographs per year? Oh, uh, it differs. Several? It differs. Yeah. yeah. Like some years are more than others. Um, but it's, there's just so many photographs. The thing that is so great about it is that it, it focuses on photography, which I have a love for. Obviously I'm a nut about photography, but it has like this great, the, whoever was the writer. So the photo editor is this guy named Bernard Bertrand, um, who I don't know a lot about, but I do know that he's a world famous photo editor and, um, his work. I don't have a lot of background on the book, to be honest. I don't know a lot about it, but it's, um, the thing that is so great about it is it has these unbelievable blurbs under each photo that are so like, cause you're looking at you, the image takes up the whole page, right. you know? And you're like, and they're shocking images, you know, they're not always like just shocking, but they're very impactful. And, um, you're like, what is this? What, why is this important? And then you read and you're like, oh Christ, this is Mussolini, Hitler, all these people from, you know, an angle that you wouldn't expect. And it feels like you're in the room with them. Just all these super interesting photos and the blurbs are so concise and well-written and then you're like, oh my God, that's amazing. You turn the page and then it's again, you're blown away by something else. Like it's a chronicle of an entire century through photographs that is a document unmatched hmm. as far as, as photography goes. Wow. It, because if you think about it, I mean, photography obviously existed before 1900, but not in the sense it it never grew as much as this century. So it photographs were extremely accessible in the 20th century. And so you've got tons of photographs. It's the first actual century where you've just got a plethora. You've got so many images you can choose from. Hmm. It's the first real century you can actually document right. through photography. There's a cultural critic. I think his name is Edmund Javes. And he wrote this um, essay called the longest century about how the 20th century should have actually been broken into. If you look at history, it should have been broken into three centuries. Um, and really? he uses these major things like World War II as like a dividing point and, you know, the Vietnam War. I mean, if you think about just the sheer amount of massive wars oh. that were in the 20th century and all the things that happened in the 20th century, his argument is like the 20th century packs like, you know, un up until then, an, an unbelievable amount of just change and turmoil and all that stuff. And um, the generations were more sharply divided, you know, like you can point to these very specific cultural divides and these defining periods that mark a break from everything that came before it. So super interesting. interesting. And I don't think we've, you know, you could 
maybe argue there's like a 9-11 as a defining point right at the beginning of our century that's like there's a post and a pre-9-11 and the people that lived and were young at the time of 9-11 are forever affected by, you know, living through that as young, very yeah. young people, you know, absolutely, it's going to shape a generation at For least sure. in, in the United States. Um, so yeah, it's interesting because we're not very far into this new century. We don't know yet. Who knows? Who knows? But crazy things are bound to happen. For we're like sure. Moving culture With and technology and science are moving right. at the speed of light at this point. So yeah, it's interesting. Okay. So what do you got, man? My first pick, you probably won't be terribly surprised. I feel like this is a foundation. Like, when I think back of watching documentary, this is like one of the first documentaries that I, f- I feel like was a cornerstone of, like, why I've come to love documentary. Ooh. That uh, was The Thin Blue Line ah, by yeah. Errol Morris. God, I, I had a hard time not picking that. And the reason why I picked this, and um, I think things like the thin blue line just showed people what was possible in documentary from a cultural impact perspective. Like the fact that you could make a documentary and essentially get someone a new trial or get some real life that you can affect impact real life that dramatically. That was people may have done that previous to this, but this was the first time that I saw it and like felt this, this arc or the sense of just like terrible injustice in this small town. And, um, Years later, when I watched Paradise Lost, I, I probably felt personally more affected by that because when I saw Damien Eccles and I saw what was happening in this small town in uh, West Virginia, Memphis. Uh, it was the West Memphis. West Memphis, but I three. think it was in, yeah, where is that? It's in Tennessee? Um, it's not in Tennessee, sorry. No, it's, it's in a, yeah, I forget what state it's in. Yeah. Good question. But yeah, it's a West Memphis threes. Um, I, I felt like, uh, you know, I yeah, was, you can identify I was a kid with who played Dungeons and Dragons and listened oh. to punk rock and was, a, you know, accused, black. Yeah, accused of some of those same things, but oh, yeah. never to the point. I mean, I wasn't in nearly as conservative of a, like a, such a conservative Christian culture where there, where there was really that threat. But I, when I watched that and undergrad, I was like, you know, you can identify with those kids. Like they're just kids that didn't fit in who, obviously had this crime completely pinned on them for no reason. It's very similar to what ends up happening and uh, at least somewhat similar in the thin blue line where there's this guy who's sort of a drifter uh, named Randall Adams and he gets, um, he's driving back from a work site one day and his car breaks down, runs out of gas and he gets picked up by this 16 year old <sighs> named David Ray Harris who's stolen a car um, and he doesn't know that this kid has stolen a car. He doesn't know that this kid has a gun. Um, and they basically get, um, long story short, they get pulled over by a cop and unbeknownst to this Randall Adams guy, this kid shoots this cop in the face during this traffic stop and kills him. And it's the whole story of this town because there's a known person who's a member of the community and, like comes from, I think a somewhat respected family. Yeah. Even. Yep. There's a 16 year old kid. And then there's this guy who they have no stake in at all. And it's the whole story of this whole thing being pinned on this guy. Who's just like a drifter and a kind of like migrant worker, not migrant worker. in this is like, you know, uh, someone from Mexico who's working in a field, but someone who migrates around looking for construction work and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I was just, 
I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was also one of the first documentaries where someone put such detail and craft. Obviously, we all know at this point, um, or anyone who's familiar with Errol Morris knows the kind of visual craft and the stunning visual delivery Mm. of any of his documentaries and how he's you know, innovated even a camera system that allows him to see see what's happening in the picture and make eye contact and talk to the person he's interviewing on the other side of the camera at the same time. Um, the other thing that I love about the Thin Blue Line is the fucking soundtrack. I have the soundtrack on vinyl. <laughs> Do you really? Yeah. Oh, my God. I got to get that. It's, um, you know, it's a Philip Glass soundtrack. Yeah, that's right. It so, is. Um, Philip Glass, unbelievable soundtrack. Stunning visuals, unbelievable story, and the fact that um, er- the documentary actually caused, you know, justice to be, you know, it's... finally happen in the case of this poor guy who lost many years of his life and evidently was, um, I read something about, he was he was bitter about um, the fame that Errol Morris received from the documentary and that he felt like Errol Morris cashed in on his story. Are you shitting me? To, yeah, which is... What the fuck? Another ouch. layer of human yeah. bullshit. Oh, my God. I never heard that. So, I mean, I guess in that situation, you've got to focus your anger somewhere, so... I, I Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, but you're welcome, I guess, too. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, a little bit. Uh, I, that is That movie. Yeah. It's unreal. So, anyone who hasn't seen it, and if you like documentary or you like Errol Morris's other stuff, you should definitely go back and watch... Thin Blue Line and all of Errol Morris's early stuff. It's all required viewing. Anything that that guy touches. And to build on that, just briefly, the only other documentary that I know that has had um, the same level of impact on a judicial proceeding is the one that HBO just did. Right. Um, The Robert Durst story. Yeah, the Robert Durst, which is... Probably the best thing I've seen in the last, I don't know how many years. It's amazing. Ten years, maybe. It's so good. It's um, so good. And then Serial would be the other one. Serial. forced a retrial. Yeah, oh, good call. Yeah. 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 To what extent, I don't know. And to what end, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I haven't followed that for very much in the last few months. But. Yeah, that's an unfortunate one where um, they've, in Serial, which for anyone who doesn't know, was a, a podcast um, radio story about this kid, uh, Adnan Saeed. Um, who was from a pretty conservative Muslim Muslim family yep. outside of Baltimore, I think. That's right. In Baltimore. Yep. Um, this uh, um, girl that he had been dating uh, ended up murdered, and they um, you uh, it opens with uh, the murder, and then is the series of ten episodes of this uh, woman who is a former NPR reporter. Uh, is it Nancy Updike? No. I can't remember. I don't, no. I, I don't believe it's Nancy Updike. No, I forget who sorry, it is, I'm but she's a, so good. A disservice to this, uh, the woman who created this. Yeah, sorry. Because we're both huge fans. I mean, things so killer. Anyways, it's the story of her sort of reinvestigating this um, trial that doesn't seem to have gotten, you know, the proper attention. The sort of bummer, and no one really knows yet um, what what happens, but it seems like there were missteps uh, on the part of the prosecution, but nowhere do you ever get the sense that this guy's actually that there's an an innocent man in jail. There's that's right. You're, no. you're unsure whether or not this guy is innocent or guilty, but there's 
definitely um, what the podcast and the investigation has done is revealed crucial, crucial errors in the case that basically force a retrial. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. That thing um, exploded. That was like, yeah, it's probably the most popular podcast. Oh, it's been driving podcasts in general, you know? Oh, like, yeah. All of a sudden, tons of people are aware of podcasts and are seeking out. And it's kind of it, that, along with This American Life and some other ones, have just like yes. raised the bar on podcasting and yeah. the qual not only the audio quality and the storytelling quality, but like the type, you know, the level of journalists that are That's dedicating the themselves and producing stories. The fucking work in that. Are you kidding? That's yeah. like, I mean, she did more than any attorney ever did for anybody in that case. Yeah. Right. True enough. All right. What do you got for number two? All right. So number two, um, God, I, I, I could talk. I, I wanted to keep talking about, I've, I've always feel like there's a thousand fucking branches we go off of here. So had to pick a, um, documentary, right? Um, movie film. Yep. Um, and I, I restrained myself to one and, the honorable mention I have to give to it was very close was Harlan County USA, which um, I discovered shortly after Made One, uh, which um, so, so I'm a huge John Sales fan. I right. just I just love everything that guy touches, and I just as far as like. Film structure, everything. I just love sales and yeah. Bonnie Prince Billy is in Made One. Yeah, that's right. He is. Yep. Um, so Made One, I, I think, is an amazing film. And and through that, I was like, and I've I've also been a, I'm, I love bluegrass, so I've always like had an affinity for just coal mining stories and yep. that whole culture. And then I discovered. Harlan County, USA, which is, um, I'm not going to stay too long on this cause I'm going to move on to my real pick, but, um, it, it's amazing. There is footage in there that it's one of those documentaries where you're like, you're actually, you're in the middle of the shit. It's a, it's a story about a strike coal miners on strike and how it splits a town mm-hmm. and you're in the middle of it. Like you're dodging bullets. Cameras are diving behind cars because shots are being fired. Like right. it's that type of shit. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Harlan County, USA. But, um, when I put it through the filter of, um, it's effect on my life. There's one documentary that like sits above all the rest. Um, and it's a documentary I've seen far more times than any other. I've seen this movie probably a hundred times is let's get lost. The, the Bruce Weber uh, documentary about Chet Baker. Huh? I so, haven't seen it. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, I'm so psyched for you to see this man. Oh, I'm so excited for you to see this. It's a perfect movie. Uh, it's perfect. So Bruce Weber is a, a famous fashion photographer. Uh huh. Um, and his, there's, you know, there are a million examples of a still guy moving to live action and not like either at, at best not translating, but the norm is like, you just don't get it. You know what I mean? The moving picture is a different deal. Um, Bruce Weber is able to like translate his style into the moving picture. So there's tons of like, but he does it not only through just like his, not only just through his framing and through 
lens use. He does it also through like pacing. He mm-hmm. like sticks on abstract stuff and he lets the camera fall off of subjects and he lets focus fall in and out. And he just does all these super interesting things. But he also tells a very accurate and detailed story of a tortured jazz musician and a guy, you know, who pretty much, you know, him and a handful of other guys defined West Coast cool jazz. Right. Uh, and he talks to all the heavy hitters. I mean, at least in Chet's world, like he doesn't right. get to Art Pepper. He doesn't get to Shelly Man. He doesn't get to a lot of the other guys on in that scene, but he gets to Jack Sheldon and he gets to, he gets to the X's. He gets, so he talks to a lot of mm. people and he tells a great, he, he has people talking about musicianship and talking about his importance um, as a musician, but he also talks to old wives and right. lovers and people in his life. So was Chet Baker, I also had the impression this was based on nothing more than just like the image and the way they would do his photos and the cover and stuff like that. I kind of got the impression that he was a little bit of a lady killer. Oh, to say the least. Yeah, man. Like there's everything about that guy. Like it's, yeah, I mean, he's so handsome. Yeah. You know what Great I mean? Great head of hair. I mean, he's like, <laughs> he's a James Dean. He's yeah. everything James Dean wanted to be. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like he was the real thing. Yeah. You know, like just, yeah, full lady killer. Um, and you know, but also like many, I hate to say it, but like a lot of these cats, he was a piece of shit, you know? Right. Like for sure. Terrible father, yeah. terrible husband, you know what I mean? Um, like, and as a junkie, you get all the shit that comes along with being a junkie. You're, you right. just unreliable. You're a shitty friend. Yeah. You only call your friends when you're fucked and you need something from them. Right. You know, but at the same time, like he, there's parts, there's like recordings in this that, uh, they, they're just being able to see. So I've listened to Chet Baker forever. I've always been an enormous fan, but seeing him like up against the mic and just seeing like actual footage of him singing and playing and that incredible, like, like the symbiosis that he had between his voice and his horn right. is like he, it's that that tone that was the same. Like you see it to be able to see the footage and see him singing and see him playing is just, oh my God, it's unbelievable. In this film, like, it's almost like no one else could have made it. You know, it's unbelievable. It's, I've, I used to, I bought the VHS tape, like, right when it came out, like, almost. I, I got it, like, when I was a graduating high school. It had come out a few years prior to that. And, and that was it. I wore the thing out and had to buy it again. And, just like it was one of those things that just went on when I went to bed, you know what right. I mean? And just that was it. I watched it every night. Yeah. That was what we did with like the decline of Western civilization. Oh, sure. Dude, so good. <laughs> and um, another state of mind was another punk oh, yeah. rock. Now that I'm thinking back, I'm like, oh, of course, like those another state of mind and decline of Western civilization were like, especially another state of mind was like, oh. we just watched the shit. Out of those punk rock documentaries. Oh, my God. They're so good. So good. And especially in those days where you're like, like just knowing that other people are doing it. Right. Right. there were so few things out there. There weren't like music videos from those bands. There weren't like – it was 
you know, hard to see any sort of documentation or zines were yeah, kind of zines and like a few books here and there and yeah. some photos and the new bands that spawned out of them, you know, that were had legends about, you know, like by the time I got around to like loving the misfits, it was, I, I went and saw the first Danzig show right after the first Danzig record came out he played like three misfit songs, but I was like, this is the only chance I'll ever have to hear misfit songs. Live. Y- yep. Yep. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. Well, right. this I'm gonna hold. I gotta. Cool. I'll get you a copy of it. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, I'd love to see it. Oh, you love, I love it. Love Chet Baker. So yeah, I know you do. You would love this movie. You love it. Cool. My second pick, uh, an incredible movie in its own right, um, and uh, people might think this is an odd choice of something that like changed your perspective or had a profound impact, but um, Crumb. Oh, Terry's Wygoff. I love it. The the film. Yeah. Oh my god. About R. Crumb and his brothers. It's almost more interesting to to um, his brothers, especially oh. his brother Charles. Yeah. Is almost, Charles is the is, is he steals the show in this documentary, yeah. which was uh, for me the reason why I picked this one was because I think seeing such an intimate portrait of how someone who is sort of a tortured creative mind and a family who's obviously had some very screwed up stuff happen to them and it's manifested themselves. It's manifested itself in different ways, but all equally these, in a way, these guys, these three brothers are all equally strange. And one of them has just managed to somehow harness it enough to achieve some, I mean, even, our crumbs com- like commercial success is out there, but we have one brother on the other hand who's living in like basically a um, like a room, a rented room in a shitty hotel in San Francisco, and he's sleeping on beds and nails and passing um, that's right strings of fabric through his entire body. And it's just this crazy, messed up, warped sort <laughs> I of forgot like, about the strings. N- new age insanity. And then you have Charles, who can't leave was, the house. Can't leave the house is uh, a tortured genius in a way that you can see the profound impact that he had on R. Crumb and all the work. Like he was the one who got R. Crumb drawing and got him inspired and in all those comic books. And he was just so obsessive about the stuff that he did. In a way, I I would by if someone collected all that all of Charles's drawings and all of his stuff and his writings and put them out in a book I would buy in a second. Oh my god. Cuz there's there's a a he's like the genius that flew too close to the sun. That's exactly right. Yeah. And was a cautionary tale in a way for R. Crumb and was the thing that helped him not not go there and at least achieve some modicum of nor uh, normalcy, you know, married kids Think, things like that. Be able I mean, to have a career a as an artist. artist. But yeah, to have a career and be able to actually interact even on the fringes of society. Very so, much on the fringes. But Anyways, if anyone hasn't seen this documentary, it's, like I said, an intimate portrait of these three brothers. Um, their mom is, oh, Oof. their mom just like lords over them. And they, these kids lived under the thumb of their mother who, at the time of the documentary, still... Uh, Charles is still living with their mother, and he, yeah. I think he, he killed himself a few years after the documentary yep. was done, and he 
had recently tried to commit suicide, and they, I think they talk about it in the they documentary. Do. They do. That's right. To him. Yep. But it was interesting because I think I was reading that Terry's Wygoff, the documentary filmmaker, was having a lot of issues and was contemplating suicide himself. And when he made the documentary, he credits the documentary with saving his life. Like seeing these guys and doing this intimate portrait of these people who, these brothers who had had this warped, no messed up life. Sort of, I didn't know that. Um, somehow enabled him to push through his own issues and get to the other side. No shit. Yeah. Wow. So Super powerful film. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And it's more than just like, if you're a fan of R. Crumb, which I am, oh, I was always a fan yeah. of his. I didn't know anything about him, honestly, before. I mean, I'd seen like in record stores and stuff, some of the comics, but I always just associated that with like the Grateful Dead or something like and that. And Janis Joplin yeah. and all that I, bullshit. I had, I had no idea before we watched the documentary what it was about. And it's shockingly enjoyable, even what's, if you know nothing about R. What's Crumb, the name so. of that comic? Um... Yeah, what was Because that was in the 60s. That was what he Zap? did. Zap comics he did. Yes, it was Zap. But there was another one, too. Um, well, whatever. I don't, I don't remember. But the thing, yeah, the thing that makes that film so great is, like, you can do a story about a great person, you know, and, and just a film about, about Robert Crumb and his work would be amazing. But when you weave in the family and you get the background... And the footage in that fucking house, yeah, with Charles like in his underwear yeah. and unable to like, like falling apart in front of your eyes. You're like, and 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 Robert just and he's just like laughing about it because what the fuck else right. are you gonna do? But you can even in those scenes. You, I mean, how much time has passed since those guys lived together as kids? And you can see that he still holds admiration for Charles, and that he he recognizes that Charles was. <laughs> maybe the true genius that just could never pull it together enough to actually yep. let the world see it. Which is the great part of that story. Like, cause I think we've all known, well, at least I've been lucky enough to know. And I assume you have to know people that are so talented that they're too talent. Like they can't make it work. Like they're too, they're too, their genius is too much. And they're, their head is so much in this direction, like, they can't live. Like, their life, they can't fucking make life shit work. They're so smart and they're so talented. I've known a few guitar players. Well, and- I, was, I was just going to say, I feel like that Dig, the documentary, is the story of that, like, a band that bends themselves to be commercial, but they're taking inspiration from Anton and his whole... Yeah. Um, what, what the hell is his band? I'm blanking on his band's name at the... Yeah... Uh, um. Anyways, Anton is like the tortured genius that can't pull it together, and his band is like, you know, enormously influential. And um, Brian Jones' Brian Massacre, Jones Massacre and the Dandy yeah. Warhols. It's the story yeah. of these two bands, and one goes on to achieve like pretty significant commercial success, but uh, Anton is just like this crazed genius that doesn't care i remember at the time the documentary came out they had a website where all of their albums were free to download are you serious and that was this was before anyone did that every single um brian jonestown record was on this website for free download you just download them all as zips it's so killer you know 
before any before Radiohead or anyone was giving away. It was just about like he just wanted everyone to hear the music, and he was doing like two or three records a year, and just like burning through creating so this nuts. massive massive records in the studio and genius. Anyway, not to get sidetracked. Yeah, anything else that isn't picks. All right, what do you got for usual? So. My last two picks, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on them because they're they're kind of um, they're not um, they're big and they're kind of long and to try and summarize it, we'd be here all night and be probably kind of boring as shit. But I do think they're super important, so I, I wanted to think through like um, the the periodicals lately, be them digital or otherwise, or like. And a new age, shit has reached a new level with, like, with just the quality of stuff. You know, if you look at things like long reads, and th- yeah. which is basically a compilation, it's not like new content. Like they don't create it, but it's a, you know, it's a, um, it's an aggregator, right? Yeah. There's a long reads podcast that I just discovered today. Really? Yeah. Oh no shit. Yeah. I, I, long reads, I love so much. It's so great. And Eon Magazine, I love. Um, so there's a bunch of brain pickings I, I, I love, but, um, there's one again, putting it through the filter of something that has been like hugely influential for me. And this is brand new to me. It's a year old to me, but it's been huge is Lapham's quarterly. Hmm. So I think Lewis Lapham was the, uh, editor of Harper's for okay. forever. Right. And in 2007, he started Lapham's Quarterly, and it's a quarterly um, publication that dedicates itself to one topic, and it collates classic literature, poetry, writings from nonfiction, fiction, wherever, all over the place. It just kind of aggregates it in like a, you know, it's about a 120-page publication and they just pick like I said one topic so it's like the one that got me was uh was death we just had a death mm. my mother-in-law just died and I saw this thing and I was like you know it was pretty gruesome and I was like god that looks like that's a whole like big fat fucking magazine about death I was like that's <laughs> this is a weird time to be reading it but I kind of want to read it and see what other you know how other people deal with it and and it was huge. It was hugely helpful for me to just like hear other people talking about it and how they go through it, and it was great. So I got hooked on it, and um, and I just love it, man. So each and, and it's each topic is pretty big. You know, it's like like I said, it's death or it's youth or time. Wow, these are like their yeah. And then he pulls in Emily Dickinson. He pulls in um, you know. Philip K. Dick, he'll pull in like stuff or like he'll pull in shit from the Iliad or like from all over. Like you're getting mm. stuff from just like the world. Like, you know, it's built. It, one of their like founding principles is that um, all learning is based on history. So in mm. the history of literature is so rich, it's impossible to like, you know, 
it's impossible to go through all of literature and find all the stuff that somebody wrote about youth. So let's pick a topic and then just go and find all the great little pieces about youth and kind of publish it. And it's killer. Right. It's so great. Cool. I'd recommend it to anybody. That's and awesome. it's nice because you get like, you don't feel bad. You buy it and you got three months to read the thing, you know what I mean? Right. Until the next one comes. So Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a good one. All right. My third pick is actually a radio episode. Cool. Um, radio episode. Now you can obviously listen to it as a podcast, but um, it's from one of my all-time favorite um, radio shows. And this is really... The, one of the shows that opened my eyes many years ago um, to the power of radio and, you know, the power of podcasts. Probably the first podcast I ever listened to. Uh, it's This American Life. And the episode was The Fix Is In, which is the episode chronicling uh, the FBI um, cracking down on price fixing and Archer's Archer Daniels Midland. They bust this guy for price fixing. And this is the book that one of the guys wrote the book, The Informant, which oh. then they made the Matt Damon movie out of. But the movie, I have to say, is a, is a piece of shit compared to this radio episode. The, the episode, which is, I'm sure, largely based on the book, which I haven't read, but I added to my sort of Kindle queue of stuff to read. Um, it's just an astonishing, because you start with this, like, you're finding out this thing that you didn't even know existed, that... And it's happening in society around us all the time. These big companies are colluding on how to price so that um, they're not competitively pricing themselves out of all of the profit in a market. They're enhancing the profit that they're all getting. So milk is a good example. Like they use this example at the beginning. They go to all the grocery stores and they monitor the milk prices across a month and they move like almost entirely in lockstep, you know, and they're stay pretty steady. Right. And it's, you know, it's like... There's some funny business going on here, and basically what they what they expose is these companies, these big companies, these big ag companies getting together and setting the prices together that they're going to charge for things, and Ugh. they bust this guy in Archer's at Archer Daniels Midland, and he basically turns into an informant for the FBI and records for the next I don't know multiple years, and this guy is so deluded. But the fascinating part of the story is what they start to realize is. This guy is such a scumbag, and he's gotten himself in so deep. Not only is he um, doing this price fixing, but he's been embezzling money from the company. Cut the shit, seriously! And they just start to realize, and they're they are. <laughs> this is a case where they're trying to give this guy immunity and stuff like that, and it just becomes a bigger and bigger and bigger mess. Like the more they get in with this guy, and this guy's. He's like a sociopath. He's completely delusional. He thinks that he's going to get a job with the FBI when the whole case is over. And just listening to the story, it was just like, it was a revelation in, um, you know, once again, in journalism, what journalism could do, but just like calling attention to this issue. And it's an unbelievable radio story. So um, you can go on the This American Life episode, uh, website, search for the fixes in and listen to it. And it's, I've listened to, I think, every episode of This American Life. There might be a few in like the early f first couple seasons where they were still trying to catch their groove and the audio quality wasn't that great that I haven't heard. But we would, I would listen to seven episodes a day yeah. at work you, when I, I first discovered it. You, um, I, you've told me, yeah, I, this is one of the biggest things for you. You've talked oh about God. these. Enormously yeah. influential and uh, played a huge part in uh 
in that part of my life and still does, you know, yeah. I, I, I wish they would publish it, you know, like I wish there was a new episode every week. They can't do that and do these kind of stories. You don't do a story like this, you know, even though it was largely built on the back of this book that this other FBI agent had written. Um, you don't still don't do a story like that. They do a lot of original stuff that has no other source material that they, they're, they, oh, yeah, they're they doing do. themselves and they're doing incredibly ambitious stuff. So they are, yeah. And all the stuff that spun off of that, the Invisibilia podcast oh, and serial man. and yep. those things. Unbelievable. Incredible. Yeah. So that's my third pick. What do you got last? Uh, that's, that's not surprising. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, 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 I should have known that would be one of your picks. Um, my last pick is a, um, is a series, um, that I I just, is so comforting to me. It's, um, it's a series called, uh, the story of film in Odyssey. So, um, it's a, um, I'm looking up the year here because it's kind of, um, it's pretty new. Yeah. So it started in 2011 um, it's BBC, um, series, and there have been a few different sort of, like, film history chronicles, you know, I think yep. PBS did one, there's one on Netflix, um, this one I love, because I had, like, um, I had, I, I, the, my fondest memories of, of college were my film classes, like, it was the first time that I realized that like it, like I was in the right place. I was like, "Oh god, this is what I've struggled for years like through high school. You're never like at home in calculus. You know, maybe right. some people are. <laughs> I, I never was, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. maybe a few times in some literature classes and stuff, but I have no idea cuz I never even got there. <laughs> Just like pieced out of geometry. Yeah, like, me I'm, I'm out of here. Thanks. Me too. Headed for fine arts. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Liberal arts education. Thank right? you very much. Yeah. For sure. Um, but yeah, when I like when I started studying TV and film, I was like, "Holy shit, this is a real thing!" And I l- love this. I can't believe like this is an actual like field of study. And of, of course it is. But it was one of those moments of like revelation when you're yeah. at that age where you're like, that's interesting. That's how I felt when I first got into literature and writing classes. Did you have that same yeah. revelation? Yeah, absolutely. You, right. It's amazing. It's an amazing feeling to be like, Oh, I, this is okay. I can do this. Like this is this is ex- what I should be doing. Right. I'm in the right place for the first time in my life. I'm sitting in the right fucking place. Yeah. That's a great feeling. Um and being engaged with professors and it was like the classic college experience that like I don't think everyone has, but I I certainly hope like my my kids have it. You know, because it was life altering for me. Um, so I've always lament for those classes. I miss them so much. And um, this uh, series takes me right back to it. And because it talks about like the language of film, you know, explains like, yeah, and it's, and it's for layman, you know, so yep. explains mise en scene, explains like, you know, how Eisenstein created the modern type of editing and how editing, you know, has evolved as a language and it ties in film all the way from like, you know, from the, uh, 
the Lumiere brothers in 1895 in France, mm-hmm. all the way to like Saving Private Ryan. You know what I mean? It covers right. everything, and the wow. episodes are an hour long apiece, and they're very they're super enjoyable to watch. Um, I'd recommend this to everybody. I, I love just watching it. It's it's the history of film. It's the story of film in in Odyssey. An Odyssey, BBC, BBC. Yep. Cool. Can't it recommend out. it highly Sounds enough. Amazing. Yeah, it's fabulous. Cool. Uh, my last pick, and once again, I think there's there's the seminal piece, and then I think there there's actually a documentary that I think was either influenced or at least largely in the same vein. Um, it's the Friday Night Lights book. Huh. Uh, I've talked about this a little bit. It's yeah. Buzz Bissinger uproots his family, moves to the middle of nowhere in Texas where football is like an absolute religion. Live and die. I mean, everyone at this point has seen the Friday Night Light series, if, you know, not the Friday Night Lights movie. Um, but the book is just an an absolute, was an absolute revelation for me in embedded journalism, um, but in a way where this guy's as passionate about it and sort of living alongside, you know, you just, you feel like you're in the town and you're experiencing these things and... Um, it's a. Uh, he's gotten a lot of flack for the the um, the expose nature of it. That when there's this star running back named Bobby Miles, and when he sort of gets a leg injury that puts him out pretty much for life, his football career is over. How the town he goes from the star and just someone who is adored in this town to someone who. Um, the like inherent racism of the town starts to come out and this guy's just discarded and he overhears people saying stuff like someone should take take that buck out and shoot him oh you know and God. stuff like that and all yeah. this stuff that he ended up getting a lot of flack later like the town turned on him because at first they were like so gratified to have this big reporter who's coming from the east coast who you know has written for these famous periodicals they're coming to like write a story about football which they love in their town and then when the, the book came out and they saw the, like, very candid, real depiction of what was actually happening in the town. But I, it's, it's amazing because it's this story of, you know, I played elite sports, not at the same level we're talking about with some of these kids. Pouring yourself so wholeheartedly into something that it's your entire world and to see it sort of taken away from these kids or, you know, to see them reach for it in in that moment and how they deal with either not getting it or having it taken away. And this town sort of living through the youth of the town over and over again as they do that. It's like this whole town has nothing, not that there's nothing going on, but their whole, the soul of the town is wrapped up in the hopes and dreams of these same kids and, you know, they're living vicariously through the, the youth of this town in this way. That's just absolutely fascinating to me. Um, and they capture some of that in the series, but it's not really the same as the book. They kind of took it as like a dramatic setting and ran, you know, turned it into its own thing. But you see some of the stuff in the show, like people putting, uh, for sale realtor signs in the yard of the the coach as soon as he loses one game and like all sorts of stuff like that. It's just vicious. 
Um, I, I never knew, to be honest with you, I never knew that the book was a piece of embedded journalism. Oh, man. I had no idea. I, I always thought yeah. it was – I never knew I, – I just knew about the series and just thought it was like a a, a series about football in, in East Texas. But no, this was like this yeah, is no, this it's is based like, on it's based on this book Friday Night Lights. Wow, that this guy wrote and it's it's unreal. Even if you're not a fan of football, I'm not a huge football fan. I like football. Yeah, um, there's something about the this book that just man, it is amazing. Oh fucking hell, it is astonishing. Oh, so I gotta read that. Captivating. I can't recommend it enough. Jesus, for, for okay. anyone who hasn't read it. So that's that. All right, so cool. there we are, four picks a piece. Yeah, those that was fun. Yeah, that was a good, good stuff. One. There was a bunch of stuff like Hoop Dreams was the other one that I kind of lump in with. Oh god, um, which yeah. is an unbelievable documentary as well. Yeah, and now that I'm thinking of it, it's like there's so much shit. Like, I mean, Fear and Loathing. Yeah, I mean that's like I think we should do this again because okay. this is this is super worthwhile. Yeah. We'll we'll put another filter on it and we'll touch documentary again. That sounds great. Yeah, awesome. So now we get to the part of the episode where I test your film knowledge, sir. Oh, man. Here we go. All right. And all right, uh, all right, the, the all right. quiz for this week is called Andy Garcia, Yes or No. <laughs> so I'm going to name... Uh, I think we have 10 films here. Okay. And I need to know whether you think Andy Garcia is in this film <laughs> or is not in the film. This is great. All right. All right, here we go. Andy Garcia, yes or no? The first film, Jennifer 8. Yes. Yes, that is correct. Andy Garcia plays a detective opposite the love interest Uma Thurman, who plays a blind girl, uh, and he's investigating a serial killer that is killing girls at the school. Yeah, I didn't. I forgot it was Uma Thurman. All right. All right. Second movie, uh, Miami Vice. He was not in that. That is, you are also correct. No. Two for two. All right. Some of these are actually TV series, too. I guess I should know. Uh, Andy Garcia, yes or no? Hill Street Blues. Ooh. I didn't watch that. Um, I'm going to say no. Uh, he was in Hill Street Blues. He was? Yes. Was he a regular character? Uh, he was. Huh. Okay. Um, so that's your, your first miss. All right. So you're two for three so far. All right. Andy Garcia, yes or no? Godfather 2. Yes. That's incorrect. He was oh. in The Godfather 3. <laughs> jumped on that too fast. You. Damn it. Okay. Fair enough. Andy Garcia, yes or no? Murder, she wrote. <laughs> yes, he was in that. That is correct. Yep. All right. So I know that from Blockbuster, from seeing, walking we're, by. And seeing we're five in here. Okay. And you've missed two. So you're you're so far three three for five. Okay. All right. Andy Garcia, yes or no? Heat. Al Pacino. Robert De Niro. Where's Andy Garcia in there? He's not in that. That's correct. You're right. Andy Garcia, yes or no? The Untouchables. Yeah, he's in that. That is correct. Andy Garcia, yes or no? Things to do in Denver when you're dead. Yes, he's in that. Absolutely right. Andy Garcia, yes or no? The Simpsons. He, yeah, he's definitely in that. You're right. Damn, Santos. Yep. You're, Andy Garcia, yes or no? Who's the boss? Ooh. <laughs> Who's the boss? 
I mean, there's so many years of it, and that's kind of in that. Yeah, he was in Who's the Boss. He was not in Who's the Boss. No. Yep. Uh, all right. So pretty good. I think you went like seven for ten. About six for ten, seven for six ten. Six or seven for ten. That's pretty good. On Andy not, Garcia. And not being an Andy Garcia fan. Per I mean, se. we're talking about a man who's had a career that has spanned decades. <laughs> So. That's really fun. That was a good one. <laughs> that was fun. All right. Well, I'll come up with something new for next week. And cool. We once again, test test the movie knowledge. I love of it. Jason Santos. I love it. All right. That's episode 18. Thanks for listening to Good Looking Out. As always, thank you very much to Kaya Fisher for the audio assistance. Thank and you, Kaya. If you want to get in touch, the easiest way is probably to hit us up on Twitter, at GLO Podcast. Uh, thanks. We'll hopefully... You'll run into you next week. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. See ya.